I'm going to uh, begin reading now. This is uh, verses uh, 13 through 18 from Colossians 1. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is above all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, last week I preached on the preeminence of Christ and how as Paul looked upon his situation and that of the Colossians, Paul saw the, the preeminence of Christ as a glorious thing, something that ought to entertain our minds also. But as we start this again today, I just want to remind you of the context of this passage because you can come to the Pauline epistles and you can immediately begin to do word studies and look at this uh, phrase or that phrase and forget that part of the impact of the phrase is part of the impact of all the individual scriptures arises from the context in which Paul wrote. Now, most people believe that Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Colossians. Everybody ought to notice, but the, again, this is not something that's there on the the passage of scripture, the Bible doesn't say now, now as you read this passage, remember how Colossae uh, was a pagan city in a pagan empire, so different from Western Christendom and the societies and the cultures from which, which have sprung from that. And so as we read this, we have to think about uh, the paganism. Uh, and I, the very first sermon I did here, I thought I, I remarked about how Paul is writing to a, to a pagan situation, and yet to that pagan situation, he's dropping all this theology, all these intricate theological phrases and words. I'm saying, well, was that really appropriate? Well, we know on the face of it, whatever God says is appropriate. We learn our, we get our definition of appropriate from the way God does things. But it's really amazing to think of this. Now, when we, when we read this then, we, we think that Paul is talking about a new kingdom that has arisen in the darkness. As we look at our world today, we, saw, we see all kinds of darknesses. It, it often discourages us. It's so dark. We wonder, how can we, how can we live and move and have our being in such a world like this? How can we witness in such a world like this? People are so dark. What, what, hope, what, uh, what possible hope can I have of succeeding based on the darkness of the people? And the Bible would say, based on the darkness of the people, you have no hope. But turned passages like this one in Colossians, we also have to acknowledge that this was a dark, dark, dark place and that God in this dark place raised up a church to which Paul could write such a letter as this. That's really remarkable. 
Now, as we as we begin this passage, the question is, and this is really pertinent to the meaning of the the passage here. The, the question is, how could this happen in this dark area of the world? I mean, we we think of maybe missionaries going to Turkey today. Angela, Billy's wife, has relatives that are wanting to go to this area. We think, well, how, how dark it is today. Well, it was even darker then when Paul wrote this letter. How could this happen? And we think of the we think of the trouble that we're having now over in Afghanistan, largely because of the darkness, the spiritual darkness there. You know, the the average age in Afghanistan is uh, 25, I believe it is, and the um, the uh, it's either 25 or 18 years, I forget. They they throw the two ages around. Uh, that but that uh, uh, the median age is 18.6 years or something like that. And if you ask, well, where where did all the old people go? Are they the more mature people? Where did they go? And the answer is to the cemetery. They've been killed. The country has been at war for centuries. And in the midst of this, they're still having these children, so there's a there's a population there, but the children never seem to change. It just seems to be a reiteration of what has gone before. So we see this illustration there of, uh, of darkness. How can, how can the Christian church take root in places like this? How can the ch- Christian church take root in Colossae? And the the basic reason, as we see from verse 13, where Paul says he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, and in the, into the kingdom of the son of his love. Uh, we see in the very last verse, we'll, we'll pick this up later too, it's, it says that he is head of the body of the church, which is the beginning of the firstborn of the dead. So we ask, how could this happen? Well, it happened because of the work of the Lord, because of his work of regeneration and building a church where people can begin to love each other, people can begin to learn together, people can begin to repent to one another of the things that they have done, the difficulties that they have seen. And as they do this, there's a liveliness, a new society which is born that we call the kingdom of God. And so when we ask, how could this church of Colossae possibly occur? Well, Paul tells us about this, as I said, in verse 13, and calls our attention to the fact that this is not a small work. This, he delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom. And I love this phrase, the kingdom of the son of his love. What a winsome Phrase that is the kingdom of the Son, His love. The Son of His love has done this, and so this passage, the verses that we read this morning, it focuses on the on the superstar status of this one. How how could this be done? Well, it, it was done via a superstar, a, a super achiever named Jesus Christ. We know how, or we could conjecture, we could hypothesize about how any community or any society can be enervated by the arrival of some great person. I was thinking about 
our area, and I was thinking of some sports team, some kids' sports team in the area, Little League or something like that. You know, the Hamilton Little Leaguers are in the World Series now, though just a few miles away from here. They, their Little League team has made the Little League World Series and uh, one of the most famous contests in the world. I was thinking about that. I was thinking how one of our teams would react if there was some superstar that came in the midst of them. It would catch up their, their attention and their minds right away. One of the greatest, I was trying. I was thinking of baseball stars, and I was thinking all those guys are old-timers that I know. That the, the, kids, the kids here don't, the kids don't know, really. Uh, but uh, So I was thinking of uh, Leo Messi. Leo, uh, was Leonardo, Leonardo uh, Messi. They call him Leo. So I, I watched a couple of his YouTube videos yesterday on the like the six best goals that he's scored, and just they're just unbelievable. Uh, he's going up the field with the ball, goes through man after man after man, <laughs> just <laughs> unbelievable. So if uh, if if Leo Messi was suddenly hired by Mars Hill to coach their soccer team, probably Chris would feel a little insecure. <laughs> But all the kids, you know, if, if Messi came to Mars Hill Academy to coach the soccer team, immediately the phone would begin to ring off the hook in the office. What's involved with coming to coming to Mars Hill or enrolling in Mars Hill? Oh, we need to confess Christ? Oh, we'll do that. <laughs> no understanding, you know, but totally enthusiastic. The little Messi is going to coach the Mars Hill soccer team. And all the kids like Caden would pay attention to him probably more than they do to their dad, his dad, who's brilliant in and of himself, but he hasn't reached the international status and stardom of Leo Messi. And so he doesn't have the respect that he deserves. He really, <laughs> he really ought to have that respect. So we can imagine what a change one person can make to a situation, and that's only dealing with human beings. How in the world did the kingdom of God get planted in this backwater area of Colossae in the country that we would call Turkey today? How did that happen? Well, because someone who was really, really, really endowed came and decided to do it. And that's Jesus Christ. And so these passages, this passage now studies why he was such a superstar, why he was so unique, why he was so extraordinary, why he was able in and of himself to bring this church to pass there in Colossae. And it encourages us to read it and to study it and to think about it today so that our faith might be built up, so that we might not dismiss or be dismissive of the Lord who dwells in us, even Jesus Christ spiritually by the Holy Spirit. So we see each verse, I've got these verses laid out in the sermon outline, beginning with point two, verse 15, the image. Verse 13 tells what he did, or he tells us the big picture of what he did, but then 15 focuses on who he is. So I've entitled the sermon, Embedded Christology. Here in the midst of this letter, Paul embeds this lesson 
on who Christ was, the, the person, the, the nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. Now the scriptures tell us about the invisible God from beginning to end. We know that God does not make appearances quickly or easily. God gives us these phrases and these indications that he was with his people, like he tells them to build a tabernacle. And he says that he will tabernacle with the people. A tabernacle was like a very sophisticated big tent. So he, he, he's telling his people that in their pilgrimage, in their journey through life, if they come to the tabernacle, they can have confidence that God is there tabernacling or camping with them. That God has set up a campsite. That God has set up a campsite in the midst of his people. And he's there. But the Bible also says that we cannot see God. No man has ever seen God, the Bible says. Why is that? Because God in his essence is not like the things that he has made. There's a tremendous difference between the things that he has made and him. And if you confuse the two things, if you think that God is like something in this world, you've made a fundamental theological mistake. That's why people that want to have pictures of Jesus are barking up the wrong tree. They're barking mad. They don't understand the essence of our Lord Jesus Christ. While he was fully human, he was also fully divine. And how do you portray that? God portrayed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is not just a man. He's not just a guy. He's not just your buddy. He is your friend. But he's also the living God. He's, a, he's part of the Trinity. We, we can't understand the depth of these things. But he is the, he is the son of the, the, the son of his love, it says in verse 13. So, but in, in verse 15, it says he is the image of the invisible God. So if God is going to, going to help us to see, to, to know who he is, he sent his only begotten son, this mysterious divine son, this mysterious divine son from all eternity, he sent his only begotten son so that as we looked upon him, we could see something of the nature and the personality, the affections of the living God. So he is the image of the invisible God. The, this is a contradiction in terms. It's an irony. It's a stated irony in the text of the scripture to help us to, to see how special he is. It, it, the Bible also says, he who has seen the Son has seen me. To the degree that our minds can understand deity, if we look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand as much as we can possibly understand about the divine, ineffable God, the invisible God. Verse 13 goes on to say, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Again, this is another metaphor. He's not a part of the creation, like the, the, all the other firstborn are our children. We know, we know what they are. We're expecting two more in our congregation soon, within the month. A month of days here, we can say. We, we, we're expecting that. We understand that. But what is the firstborn over 
all creation. This is not a firstborn from within the creation. This is a firstborn over the creation. This is, so it's using the term firstborn as a metaphor of the divine process, of the divine being. This, this is telling us not that, that Jesus was really born, but it's telling us that he um, is related to the Godhead and uh, he, he was, uh, he, uh, yet in, in and of his essence, he is designated to be over the creation uh, and yet very specially related to the living God, the firstborn over all the creation. Uh, <clears throat> um, now we know the creation are things that we can see. We look out, we can, we can understand what the creation is. But this is the firstborn over all that we can see. The firstborn over the creation. So he is unique. So it's saying something about his relationship to the Father. But it's also saying something about his sovereignty over the world. Our Lord Jesus Christ is so special. And, and yet he is over all creation. And in this sense, you see, this is the one who came and began to touch hearts in the region of Colossae. It's east of Ephesus, there on the Medi Ephesus is right on the Mediterranean, the shore. East of there, inland, is Colossae. And it's this one that came and began to touch people in Colossae. How did the church start there? Because of this. Because of this mystery. And then in verse 16, it says, By him, for by him... All things were created. This one who was the firstborn of, of over all the creation, it was through him that all things were made. And this reminds us of John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 1 and following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, flesh, and th through the Word, everything was created that was created. There was nothing that create, was created that was not created through the Word. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, and that are on earth, invisible and visible, invisible and invisible, whether throngs or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So the Colossians could think to themselves, when they came to church, they were coming to church to worship an amazing God who was much more unique than all of the idols that the Greco-Roman world could produce. Much more, much more unique than the legions that called themselves divine. And had people make sacrifices to the legion, to the, to the flags and the, uh, the colors of the Roman legion. But this is not a God like that. This is a God who is over all the world. This is a God through whom all things were created. And as I said last week in the sermon, it's very natural that if it was created through him, it's not a big stretch to realize that everything that was made was for him. These things are there. They're by him and they're also for him. And it says in verse 16, both in heaven and on earth. A lot of times people today confuse angels and things like that for God. And they'll, they'll, they'll make statements that indicate that if something is, uh, is uh, heavenly, that it's, uh, it's uh, uh, divine. They'll, they'll, they'll give too much credit to the devils. They'll say, oh, the devils are like God's equal. And we've said many times, no, 
these these angelic creatures, they're made too. They're created too. And this refers again to that. You can have a very, very special creature. And yet all things in heaven and on earth were created by him. This unique, special son. The son of his love. And uh, his, the son of his love has established a new kingdom. And Colossi. So the Colossians... They, 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 they really felt that they were special. Yes, there was the Roman kingdom, the Roman empire that was all around them. You see how Paul, he, he's just dripping with theology, and yet it's so applicable. They were members of the Roman empire. They, the Roman legion would march through periodically. Colossae was on a road, a major road, east and west. So they would see legions of soldiers walking back and forth, marching back and forth. They knew something of the Roman Empire, but they also knew that as they met in their groups, like we're meeting this morning, they knew as they met in their groups that they were part of an even more special kingdom. And when you ask, how could this kingdom establish itself in the midst of the darkness? The Colossians knew because their hearts had been renewed. God had given them a heavenly vision. They understood something of the uniqueness of the special case that they were part of. And he says here that um, in verse 16, he says, um, they were created that are in heaven and earth, visible in Israel, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. These are all references to the various parts of this world. We think of dominions like Kingdoms like Babylon and Persia, Rome now, um, uh, dominions, nations, people groups. And then he speaks of power, principalities, or rulers. Um, uh, and all of these things were created through Christ. So whether you're talking about Babylon or Persia or Rome, or whether you're talking about um, the king of Babylon or the emperor of Rome. All of these people, all of these things came to pass because of God's sovereign power for some reason. He mentions lastly powers, dominions, principalities, and powers. Um, why is it? Why is it that you can have a people like the people of Afghanistan that have been slaughtered generation after generation after generation and yet are coming back with the same amount of venom in 2021 as they were in the 1800s. And before that, they dealt with Genghis Khan and the Mongol horde. How can it be? Well, you see, God, God is the source of these amazing things. Right now, we're fighting for our lives here in America to have a sense of who we are. Many people in America think that the, the, the first point of our thinking ought to be our self-loathing. That we would hold ourselves guilty above all others. That we are the authors of slavery. And other things repugnant. Where, does, where do these ideas come from? Where do these uh, these mindsets come from. Obviously, a mindset has, bes has uh, besmitten 
the leadership of our country. I'm not just talking about the political leaders. It's besmitten the universities of our country. The really smart and intelligent people are, are thinking that the, the most enlightened thing that they can think is how loathsome the American is. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how why that's happened because Americans were found, America was founded to love the living God, love Jehovah, but we've turned our backs on Jehovah. And so God says, okay, you loathe me. I'll, I'll teach you a new trick. You can loathe each other. You can loathe yourself. And so it's like he set a cloud upon the people. A cloud of self-condemnation, of self-doubt. Because if there is no inspiration, if God himself is not our inspiration, then any inspiration we have will be empty and dead. So he's given us over to ourselves. This past week, the notice was given that the, uh, the new, a new chaplain was uh, chosen for Harvard University who was an avowed atheist. <laughs> the reverend, nothing. <laughs> this is supposed to be a smart place, you know. Harvard? It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be, it had to be smart to get in there. Has God not given these smart people over to abject stupidity? But that's what he does. And Christ is in control of this, and to control of the dominions, the principalities, and the powers. We just spent 20 years in Afghanistan trying to, trying to create something positive, trying to give them some of the blessings that we have in America here. But without what? Without Jesus Christ. Oh, we left him off. What does God say in Psalm 127? Except the Lord build the house. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain who build it. In order for Afghanistan to amount to anything ultimately beyond a venomous, hateful group of people who like to kill other people, and themselves included, in order for that to happen, we're going to have to tell them about Christ. I knew a missionary that was working in Kabul 50 years ago. Uh, now his name flees, flees my mind as I'm searching for it to use in the sermon. Uh, Christy Wilson, Christy Wilson. And I was at seminary. I loved to hear stories that he would tell about his work in Kabul. So the work has begun. And there are churches in Kabul even now as we speak. But it's got a long way to go. But we know that it's got a long way to go in Washington, D.C. also. Christ is hardly, there's the, the, our leaders hardly have a room, whether it's in their lives or in their, their public Social spheres, they hardly have a moment or a square foot for Jesus Christ to occupy. He, although the, the scriptures here say that he is preeminent. This, this ties into um, <clears throat> um, verse 17, because verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. Um, so what it's saying is that 
uh, it, should, it should be so obvious. He is so basic. If, if everything consists in him, if even the physical things of this world, if this microphone, the molecules and the atomic structure of this plastic and the lens and the glass, and the, of all of those things are held in place or consist by the power of Jesus Christ, isn't it obvious that he ought to receive accolades from us in this world today? And it's obvious. It's totally obvious. Powers do not exist in and of themselves unless they are divine, unless they're the God, God himself. And uh, when these things break down and they disintegrate, that's not, a, that's not the way a God behaves. And so <clears throat> um, I can just imagine the people in hell suffering the burns and the torments of hell Abrading each other for their stupidity. You know, one, one fellow turns to the other and says, Wasn't it obvious that all things came from God? Why did you not tell me that? Why did you let me go, uh, go along in my stupidity? I hate you. And the other guy, Well, I hate you too. I hated you before you hated me. De- devils wrangling with each other. But part of their torment is the obviousness of who God is, the obviousness of the things of the scripture. The secular pagan people today think that you've got you've got to be some gigantic intellect to believe in God because you've got to be able to read uh, studies on physics or something like that in order to know anything about God. No, you've just got to open your eyes to the things that are obvious, and uh, that's what verse verse sixteen and seventeen teach. And he is uh, he is uh, all things were created through him. And for him. And we will hate each other if we end up throwing all of this off and neglecting to worship God in this life. We will absolutely hate ourselves for our our stupid abstinence from going and, and rejoicing with the Lord God because of his obvious reality. And so um, verse 18 then says, And he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead referencing the resurrection, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Why did the Colossian church exist? Because there was a very special person in their midst. The son of the divine God. He had visited, he had touched. With his, with his hand of redemption, he had touched this area of the world. People had come to faith and then they joined together in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they formed another outpost of the kingdom of God. A kingdom within the kingdom, a hidden kingdom. There was the Roman Empire, and there was the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that same uh, blessing today here in southwestern Ohio. In Colossae, there were the zombies walking stumbling here and there, hardly alive, but then some live people took up residence in Colossae who were happy in the Lord, who could talk to God, who could praise him in their weekly worship like we're doing today. Let us rejoice that the living God is in our midst, that this this super son 
of the living God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, has planted us in this church and everywhere where people are meeting in the name of Christ, they are the product of this divine processor who was able to process the darkness and the souls of the dead and raise them to life. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for this text. We thank thee for the uniqueness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for this embedded Christology which is in the midst of this letter to Colossians, to the Colossians. And we thank thee that even as we see how God brought pagans to faith then, he can do so now. Thou art not limited, O Lord, by the unbelief of men. Thou art only limited by the narrowness of thy revealed grace that we see in our day. And so we Pour out our hearts unto thee, O Lord. Open up the windows of heaven. We need thee, O Lord, desperately. The darkness is all around us. We see unbelief. We see how smart and intelligent men are determined to make war against thee. Break these, these iron hearts, O Lord. Make them alive. Bring them from death to life. Breathe thy spirit into them like Ezekiel spoke of the valley of the dry bones. Bless us, O Lord, with thy power. Help us to see what we've got. Help us not to live small lives. In Christ Jesus, when so great a one as he lives within us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.